we're at a moment in perhaps recent history, maybe not ever, but recent history for sure, where people are once again spiritual. There is a large turning towards uh, or a recognition that actually we can't explain everything through science or through uh, sort of rational thought, but actually there is, uh, a, there is a spiritual dynamic to life. I heard a statistic, I can't remember where it was quoted. Uh, oh, I remember it was on a Zoom call with some other pastors and the, the statistic was something like 80% of 18 to 30-year-olds have viewed an online church service during the lockdown in the UK, which is a huge number of people. And there, there's an interest in the spiritual. And so lots of people would say that they pray Oh, you know, I've got a kind of prayer that I do, or they would say particular words. But what does prayer mean for the Christian? What does individual prayer mean for the Christian? Andy spoke fantastically last week on a sort of a broad overview of prayer and how that's so uh, important as a church that we gather together, that we pray together with one another. But I want to encourage us that that should spill out into our individual lives as well. And really, it should spill the other way, that our individual prayer life should spill into our gathered prayer life. I was just reflecting before uh, we began this morning that there's probably about 50 sermons that you could do on corporate prayer, at least, and 50 sermons that you could do on individual prayer or personal prayer, and uh, how... It can be tricky to try and narrow these things down. So really, I only want to share four thoughts this morning. Uh, The first is the answer to this question. Is prayer for me? Is prayer for me? Is prayer for you? Is it as an individual? Is it a thing that you need to engage with? Again, I was talking to Hannah just before the service and she said, you know, I think what she shared this morning is so simple, isn't it? Almost that there's an invitation to prayer. And I've said this before, but I think the Bible is very simple on a lot of things that it encourages or instructs us to do. And yet we want to complicate things often in order so that we don't have to do them. I always think of this when Jesus said, you know, you love your neighbour And the response was, but who's my neighbor? And then he tells the story of the Good Samaritan, the parable. But we want to ask that question, don't we? We want to say, well, who is my neighbor? Is, yes, prayer, but is prayer really for me? I'm more of a Bible guy or a Bible girl. I I love to read the Bible, but prayer, I find it hard work. Is prayer really for me? Well, I want to read a, a quote from this book, which again was referenced this morning, can't encourage you enough to get hold of a copy of this and the praying life, a praying life which Andy uh, referenced quite a lot last week. But I just want to read a quote from this. This is from the very beginning of the book, and it's on the necessity of prayer. So this is Tim, Tim Keller. He leads uh, a sort of, by sort of many metrics, I suppose you would say, a successful church in New York City. Uh, and this is what he says. In the second half of my adult life, I discovered prayer. I had to. In the fall or the autumn of 99, I taught a Bible study course on the Psalms. It became clear to me that I was barely scratching the surface 
of what the Bible had commanded and promised regarding prayer. Then came the dark weeks in New York after 9-11, when our whole city sank into a kind of corporate clinical depression, even as it rallied. For my family, the shadow was intensified as my wife struggled with the effects of Crohn's disease. Finally, I was diagnosed with thyroid cancer. At one point during all of this, my wife urged me to do something with her we had never been able to muster the self-discipline to do regularly. She asked me to pray with her every night. Every night. She used an illustration that crystallized her feelings very well. And as we remember it, this is, she said something like this. Imagine you were diagnosed with such a lethal condition that the doctor told you you would die within hours unless you took a particular medicine. A pill every night before going to sleep. Imagine that you were told you could never miss it or you would die. Would you forget? Would you not get around to it some nights? No. It would be so crucial that you wouldn't forget. You would never miss it. Well, if we don't pray together to God, we're not going to make it because of all we're facing. I'm certainly not. We have to pray. We can't just let it slip our minds. Maybe it was the power of the illustration. Maybe it was just the right moment. Maybe it was the Spirit of God. Or most likely of all, it was the Spirit of God using the moment and the clarity of the metaphor. But for both of us, the penny dropped. We realized the seriousness of the issue and admitted that anything that was truly a non-negotiable necessity was something we could do. We're not going to make it unless we pray. Jesus said this in Matthew 6. The, if you can see it in bold slightly, that's where I've made it bold. It's not like that in the Bible. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. When you pray, when you pray, when you pray. Jesus didn't say, if you pray, or if the mood strikes and you feel like praying, when you pray, do it like this. And over the next few weeks, we're going to look at perhaps how to pray and when to pray in terms of timings and all of those sorts of things. Maybe some more practical stuff. But when you pray, Jesus' expectation and the model of his life was one of prayer. So prayer is for you. Prayer is for me. The answer to that question is prayer for me. Yes, it is. Individual, personal prayer in secret. When you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret, who sees what is in secret. Now, this is not, I think there's a tension sometimes in these things where Jesus, when he talks about prayer and fasting, he says, don't do it to be seen by other people. Don't do it to make a show of it, but actually do it and keep it private. Now, that's not necessarily to say you have to, I don't know, find a 
do a, do a sort of a James Bond MI6, hide yourself away, secret identity, no one knows where you've been for the last two weeks because you've been on a prayer retreat, that kind of level of secrecy. But actually, there, there's, a, there's a sense in which you're not doing it to parade in front of people. It's no, it's no good just turning up to Wednesday evenings and praying a great prayer and then not spending any time praying during the week. Maybe you're a good, good enough uh, performer to do that. But actually, those Wednesday evenings should be the, the out spilling over of our personal times with God. This is, what I, this is how I speak to God. And then I'm just doing the same thing, but I'm in front of other people. I'm with other people. We're doing it together. So prayer is for you. And then I want to talk about three aspects. As I said, there's probably, well, infinite maybe is too strong a word, but there are innumerable sermons that you could preach on prayer. But I want to talk about three particular things. And those are the purpose of prayer as an individual, the privilege of individual prayer, and the power of individual prayer. And I think the purpose of prayer is obviously where we should begin. And I think the primary, or one of at least the primary purposes of prayer, is the reorientation of ourselves. I don't know if you uh, have ever seen signs like this when you've been out driving around. I don't know if you can see it very clearly there. It says, Satnav wrong, use brain. There's a, a famous uh, clip uh, scene from... Uh, the American sitcom or American version of the office sitcom where they're driving and the sat-nav says, you know, continue straight ahead. And they, there's obviously a river or a lake there and they continue straight ahead into uh, the water. Now, that's, you know, slightly, you think, oh, that's ridiculous. If you search for sat-nav errors, there are a ridiculous amount of people who have followed sat-navs into rivers into bogs that they can't get out of, to cliff edges and needed rescuing. Um, but sometimes we need to engage our brains, don't we? We need to sort of realise that, that what we're being, the information we're being fed is sending us in the wrong direction. Keller says again in his book that prayer is the only entryway into genuine self-knowledge. It's the main way we experience deep chain, the change, the reordering of our loves. Prayer is how God gives us so many of the unimaginable things he has for us. It's in prayer that our loves, our affection, our desires for certain things are reordered. Because as we spend time with God, as Andy detailed so well in those um, Venn diagrams last week, as we focus our attention on God, as we adore God, our priorities are changed. Our lives, ourselves are reoriented. I don't know what you're like with navigation. I am actually pretty good. Uh, I once navigated home. I was living in a, a, a I moved to a new city um, and I'd not been there very long and I 
it was in uh, New Zealand and the city was laid out on a grid and it was like north to south, east to west. And I knew I was living in a particular area of the city and I navigated home by the sun. That's sort of my, my crowning achievement. I knew I was in this area and I needed to get there. And I was like, okay, well, I'm going to head in that direction because that's where the sun is and the sun's going down. And then I sort of managed to find my way home. Generally speaking, I have a pretty good sense of direction if I've gone left and right and left and right and I know, okay, I need to do this to get back. Uh, but some people don't have that. Um, I'm sure Megan won't mind me saying she has a terrible <laughs> sense of direction. If she's done one or two turns, she says, I'm, I don't know where. <laughs> I wouldn't know how to get myself back round to where I need to be. But life is disorientating. Right now, if you think about where you're at at this moment, Perhaps you feel close to God. Perhaps you feel your affections have been stirred for God because you've been worshipping this morning or you, you thought, I'm going to give this to God. I'm going to follow God more, more dedicated, more passionately than I ever have done before. I assure you, by the end of the day, you will have received messages, not on your phone necessarily, but from if you've watched TV, if you've read a newspaper, if you've gone on the internet, you will receive messages that want to steer you off course. We are constantly be giving, being given the wrong directions on how to succeed and thrive in life. Prayer reorients these things. So a famous verse, Philippians 4, uh, chapter 4, verses 4 to 7. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Even there, as we begin, rejoice in the Lord always. Difficult circumstances in life. Wife's got Crohn's disease. You've been diagnosed with thyroid cancer. Huge, crazy event just taken place in your city that you love. Rejoice in the Lord always. Let your reasonableness or your gentleness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Do not be anxious about anything. We live in a massively anxious time. Will I get the vaccine? Will the vaccine work? Has it got a, you know, some nefarious scheme behind it? We live in the most safe moment in history in terms of our, like in England, in, this, in the UK, in this nation right now, if you were to break your leg, there's never been a better time in history to break your leg. You can go to a doctor, you can go to a hospital, they will, I mean, maybe pre-coronavirus pandemic might have been a little bit better, but you understand what I mean. In terms of medical science, there's never been a better time to do it because they can, they can put metal pins in your leg that will make sure it aligns properly and then they can remove those pins and your leg will be fantastic. It's not like you know, a few hundred years ago, you break your leg, that might be the end of you. You, that might be a life-threatening injury for you. And yet, 
We live in this time where there's so much provision for health and safety, and yet people are anxious. They're more nervous than they've ever been. Is my child going to be okay? Maybe we're a little bit old-fashioned, but, you know, I think let them climb on stuff. Maybe because of my personal history, I'm okay with a few bones getting broken. You know, I've had several myself. That's just part of childhood. Uh, although Megan said maybe it's not quite as common as it is with me, so maybe I've got poor, poor bones. But we need to be, not be anxious about these things. There are so many, particularly for young parents of young children, there's so much pressure now for if you don't do these things right now, your child will be messed up for life. If you spend too much time with them, they'll be too dependent on you and they'll never develop to be an individual of their own. If you don't spend enough time with them, they'll be aloof and you'll never form a strong bond and they won't love you. There's this anxiety and pressure, and that's just in the realm of, or the sort of area of parenting. We live in an anxious time, but the Bible says, but don't be anxious, but by prayer and supplication or requesting from God, and thank, with thanksgiving, make it all known to God. And then the peace of God will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Take all of these concerns, these worries, and don't let them grow and become anxiety, but actually present them to God. And the peace of God will pass, will, will guard your heart and mind, which surpasses understanding. I was thinking that would take great solace in that. Wow, you've been given this diagnosis. How can you be so peaceful? The, the peace of Christ, the peace of God is guarding my heart and my mind. As we do that, as we present these things to God, as we bring them before God and surrender them to him, we're given that peace. Romans 12, again, uh, another famous verse but a few verses, Romans 12, 1 to 3 says this, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say everyone among you ought not Everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith God has assigned. The verse in Philippians there, it goes on to say, Paul goes on to say, whatever is true, whatever is good, whatever is noble, whatever is lovely, think about these things. There's, almost, there's this, almost this idea of take your worries Give them to God and then think about these other things that are good and pleasant and will bring life into you. And as you think about those things, as you say to, you, to God, I'm presenting myself to you, my life is a living sacrifice for you. 
our minds will be transformed. We'll be able to see what God's will is for our lives. So the question is, what does your life center on? Does it center on all of the concerns and anxieties that you've got? Or does it, does it center on lovely, noble, good, awesome things like the nature of God? That's why we spent so long looking at the one true God last year, is to reorient ourselves, say, this is who God is, and that affects how I live. It affects how I think about these things, because I know God loves me, and I know God is good, and therefore I know I'm going to see that, not just in the future heavens and earth, but in, in the land of the living, in, to, in my life now, I'm going to see the goodness of God. When our life is centered around God, when our orbit is close to God, then we don't lose direction so easily. We aren't disorientated so easily. The purpose of prayer, or one of the purposes of prayer, is reorientation of our lives in alignment with who God is and what God wants. We have to fight for these things. There's a quote again from Terry Virgo. The Christian life isn't like a battle. It is a battle. You have to fight for this. You have to fight against these messages that are looking to drag you off. Then there's the privilege of prayer. The privilege of prayer is relationship with the Father. Prayer is an invitation into relationship. We're not mindless drones. As we focus on God, as we reorient ourselves to look at God and seek to do his will, we're not then mindless robotic drones that are given tasks to do. Okay, God, you want me to go and do this? Uh, you know, it's, it's, prayer is an invitation to relationship. Those verses again that uh, we read earlier. When you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand in the street corners, pray in the synagogues. They may be seen by others. They've received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who is in secret will reward you. When you pray, don't heap up empty phrases. They think they'll be heard for their many words. Do not be like them for your father knows what you need before you ask him. The psalmist said, in my distress, I called upon the Lord. From his temple he heard my voice and my cry to him reached his ears. The Lord is near to all who call on him. To all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desire of those who fears him, fear him. He also hears their cry and saves them. The prodigal son story is a lot of focus on the son but uh, a few, I can't remember, probably even years ago now, but Brian, uh, whose encouragement was fantastic on Friday, that he spoke on this and he re reminded us so well of that idea of the father waiting and running to the son. Almost the abandonment of his dignity to embrace his lost son. I can remember a long time ago uh, hearing a, an illustration where a preacher was uh, preparing their sermon, they said, "We you know what they were sort of thinking about things, and they were so wrapped up in the practicalities of doing that 
they, they received a message from someone which said, God wanted me to tell you this. I miss you. I miss you. Because they were so caught up in, oh, okay, I need to prepare my sermon. I need to get this thing ready. and I need to do that ready. That they neglected their relationship with God. Which sounds completely counterintuitive because it is. When we turn to God, he's there waiting to embrace us. When we turn in prayer, he's waiting to embrace us. We aren't offering prayers to an impersonal force or we aren't trying to direct the flow of energy through the universe. We are speaking, we are conversing, we're having a conversation with our Father. The privilege of prayer is that it's an invitation into relationship with the Father. The power of prayer, the potency of prayer, perhaps, is the release of God's power at work in our lives. Prayer enables and allows the power of God to work in and through us. Luke 11 says this, and verses 9 to 13. And I tell you, this is Jesus speaking, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. Everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead give him, instead of a fish, give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And then again, that verse we just read about the Lord being near to all who call on him. It says, he fulfills the desire of those who fear him. He also hears their cry and saves them. If we... If you have a child or if you have a friend, if your friend asks you for something like, you know, an egg, can I have a boiled egg maybe, you wouldn't give them a scorpion. Our Heavenly Father is not going to give you a scorpion. He's waiting to give as we ask. He's waiting to show us as we seek. He's waiting to open the door as we knock. Brian asked in his encouragement on Friday, when were you last topped up with the Holy Spirit? I think that's an important question. Time in prayer reorients our desires so that they align with God's will. It draws us closer to the Father who is waiting to listen and speak to us. As we express our concerns, our fears, our hopes, our desires, our requests to God, he then acts. He doesn't stand far off. He's not a cold father with his back turned, thinking maybe if you try hard enough, I'll turn and look at you. He doesn't simply stand on the sidelines and go, oh, okay, you could go over there. Yep, yeah, go that way a bit. No, no, that way. He's not like that. He gets involved. He gets his hands dirty. The psalmist says of God that he stoops down to make me great. 
that he lifted me from the slimy pit, the miry pit, and set my feet on a rock. I don't know if you've ever been in a slimy pit. I hope my brothers don't mind me sharing this image too much. But this was us on a holiday. Uh, I can't remember what the name of the place is now. Anyway, this was us on a holiday, uh, and we are covered there in sea clay. Um, we were at the beach, and the sea had gone out, the tide had gone out, and we discovered this patch of clay. As you can see, it was dark. <laughs> I'm not sure. Um, wait, my mum was uh, very, not, um, not concerned about the risk of however old I was being with my irresponsible teenage brothers. But we found this sea clay, and we were fighting with it, and sort of... It, it was difficult to move around in, um, but none of us, you know, we all survived, so it's fine. Um, I particularly enjoy this. This is not the only photo where we've all been caked in mud, but there have been different times where we've been in pits of mud and sort of, you know, it's, it's difficult to move around in those things. And you need, you know, your big brother who's much stronger than you and bigger than you to grab your arm and pull you out because your feet are stuck in the mud. But as they do that, as God does that, as he, he plunges his hands and he gets his hands dirty to pull us out of the miry pit. To lift someone out of the mud and the muck, you have to get involved. And that's what God did when he sent his son Jesus into the world. Jesus coming into the world is God plunging his hands into the mud and the mire, the the horror, the stench, the, the disgustingness, if that's even a word, of the crucifixion. Is God plunging his hands into that mud and mire? Crucifixion wasn't a mindless act of violence. We can sort of look back at it and go, that's really just so brutal and weird, almost primitive. But actually, it's very calculated. It's a calculated attempt to undo the person's dignity and value and worth. It's a dehumanizing act. In the crucifixion, we see that God doesn't put on a hazmat suit in order to come and tend to us. He dives in and takes hold of us. If you think my life is a mess, I don't know what's, I, I don't know if I'm coming or going. I feel like I've got get mixed messages all over the place. I'm telling you this morning, God has plunged His hands down and is waiting for you to grip, so that He can pull you out. And if you want to respond, if you want to say, Jesus, I know I need you to take over lordship of my life. I need you to be the one who's giving me direction, who's providing me with a clear path to walk. Then I want to surrender my life to you. Then you can respond to that later on. In a few minutes, we're going to be an opportunity to pray together. So you can type me in the chat window. If you want to surrender your life, say, God, I want to surrender it to you. I want you to be the one who is the driving force, who is the, the, the sun that I navigate by, the stars that I navigate by. You type me in the chat window and there'll be someone who wants to talk that through with you and pray with you. We've seen already as a church family the difference that it make, a commitment to prayer has made over the last few weeks. There's 
I've heard more stories of people sharing the gospel or getting an opportunity to speak to someone and sort of almost get to sharing the gospel or to have a, com- a meaningful conversation with someone in the last sort of four weeks probably than I have done for a long time. Now, part of that's lockdown and maybe things are easing a bit. And part of that is actually even before the lockdown, those weren't common occurrences. I wasn't getting emails saying, I just wanted to encourage you based on, you know, we talked about evangelism and this happened the next day or we're praying about this and this happened. Those weren't necessarily the most common occurrences, but they seemed to be increasing as we've dedicated ourselves to prayer. And as I said a few weeks ago, and as Andy reinforced last week, this is not a fad. This is not, oh, you know, after these 40 days, we've done the prayer thing, guys. Don't worry about it anymore. I think that's one of the important things of of what Sarah shared as the brush went across and across and across, eventually the paper was changed. We were changed as a people. We will be changed. We are changing as a people. We are a people who pray. We are a church that prays. And I think that's always been true, but it's going to be true in a different way after this period of time. I've said before that my pastoral diagnostic kit is not particularly uh, sophisticated. It consists primarily of three questions. Are you reading your Bible? Are you praying? When were you last filled or topped up with the Holy Spirit? And eight or nine ten times out of ten, you've diagnosed the problem. My challenge to you this morning is you need to take responsibility for the health and vitality of your prayer life. And as you do that, as your prayer life becomes more healthy, more vital, it will directly impact your ability to participate in and enjoy our times of gathered prayer. As you embrace the the purpose of prayer to reorient your life around what God wants for you, as you embrace the privilege of prayer, the, the joy of getting to speak to your father and hear from your father, as you embrace the fact that as you cry out to God, he will come to save you. His, his power is released. He will pour out his Holy Spirit onto you and into you. As we do those things individually, they will spill out into our gathered times of prayer. So just very quickly, I'm going to share with you four things just on how to do this ahead of over the coming weeks as we look at that a bit more. Get that picture off the screen. <laughs> Dedicate some time to it. Now, you may be thinking, I don't have time. It's difficult for me. I'm walking to, you know, maybe it's the time when you walk the children to school. You can walk and pray with them. Or as you're walking home, maybe from the school run or driving home, you can uh, pray. So I don't necessarily mean find a 20-minute slot that you can dedicate to this. If you can, fantastic. If you can't, snatch some time. Think about this is dead time. While I'm folding up the washing, while I'm putting the washing away, I can be praying, I can be speaking to my father. I've spoken to lots of people and 
the idea of as you're washing your face, you wash your face, God, as I'm washing my, my face, cleanse me, you know, for, forgive me of the sins that I've committed today that I don't even realize. Find little triggers in your life and dedicate those moments to prayer. Be yourself. Don't think you have to use fancy language. Andy said this so well last week. God knows what you need before you even ask. Be real about what you're going through, about your feelings and desires. Fight for it. Piper says when he's praying, the dust on the blinds has never looked so interesting. Oh, I could just dust that off. It's a good thing to do. We need to drag ourselves back to our prayers sometimes. And then whilst you are responsible for the health and vitality of your prayer life, use the buddy system. Get in a three, challenge someone else, ask them to challenge you. Ask me how often I'm praying. Whilst we are individually responsible, we're not alone in this. If you think you struggle with any of those three areas, the, the purpose, the privilege, or the power of prayer, then you can receive prayer about that. You can talk to someone and receive prayer about that this morning. You can type a prayer in the chat window. Or, and if you want to respond to that idea of surrendering your life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, type me in the chat window or directly to Christ first. I'm going to pray for us and then we'll finish. I've gone slightly over time. I apologize. Hopefully you can get out and enjoy the rest of this sunny day after you've been prayed for. <clears throat> Father God, I thank you that you love us. You're eager to meet with us in prayer. You're eager to spend time with us. And so, Lord, I say, help us to be a people who want to do that who find joy in spending time with you, who find delight in the, in the purpose of being reshaped for your plans and purposes for us, at being uh, welcomed in to spend time with our Father and who are enjoying the, the delight and the, the privilege again of seeing your power at work in our lives in us and through us towards other people as we spend time praying and giving ourselves to you. I thank you for all of those things. I pray we'll be a people who are changed, a people who are, have a renewed dedication to individual and corporate prayer. I ask all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.